It's great to see you guys. Can I hear you if you were here last week? Was that legit or what? The best part about that for me, honestly, I'm looking there and we had about 1,800 people there. It's crazy, right? Like you and I, like we funded that whole deal last week. Who does that, right? We do. It's not lame life, it's epic life. Come on. I just, I love being able to dream with you guys. I, I love being able that we can come and, and put our minds and our hands. And we had 60 volunteers last week. It's crazy. Like, and I just was so overwhelmed by just how good the Lord is, not only just, of course, in general, but how good he is in this place and with each other. And uh, just the emails coming in all week from people who uh, just got touched and rocked by the Lord last week. I had a guy that came up, and I don't know if he's here, but he's like, the Lord just totally rocked me, just transformed me, and I'm going to El Salvador. And just, okay, we'll, you know, try and find a plane ticket. And he sent me a plane ticket today, so he's going to just, like, fund it, just, he's going. So, team, we got 15 now. So, it was awesome. I love it. But uh, just the stories for what God did uh, last week and what he's doing is awesome. And the other thing that struck me, and I need an amen after this, is that the presence of the Lord there last week is not too different from what it is here in this, this place, is it? That's what's really cool, is that we can have the world-renowned worship leaders. I mean, they are booked for like years. And the same presence that was there last week, it's like, ah, this is familiar. We get to experience it together every week. It's awesome. So if you guys have a Bible, uh, we're going to be studying out of Matthew chapter 3 and 4. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a follow-up from uh, last week, what what Chris gave us in Word. And that was a good word. I listened to it again this morning. And I was super blessed by it. And uh, the title of this message is Identity Theft. Identity Theft. Now, why would we call that? Because last week we, we, we focused everything around with Chris about you know, we want our identities to be known and we want them to be secure. We want to have a thorough knowledge of what, what Jesus did on the cross, what that meant for us. And so the impartation for us last week, I, I pray that you just felt and experienced things in your heart that you never experienced before. But this week, we're going to take a look at, okay, so yeah, the Lord did awesome things last week in our hearts, but man, anytime the Lord is on the move, you know the enemy's scheming, Amen. And so we need to make sure that we don't lose ground. And the word that we, we kind of uh, had, or at least that, that came up, is that um, we're taking new ground in, in our lives and in our hearts. And I believe that uh, so many of you that I, I know, and I, I, need to, I want to know everybody's story, but every story I'm hearing is just people advancing their faith and their, their relationship with the Lord, just taking ground and taking names. I'd say another phrase, but I won't because I know this is recorded. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> And I also think that there's a taking back as well. I believe that there is a, a, a repossessing which was taken from us. And I don't know about you, how your upbringing was, what your relationship with, with the Lord was uh, growing up, but I really think that this is a time not only for us to advance, but also take back some of the years that were lost and some of the things. So um, I'm all about protecting what the Lord is doing in our place and in our hearts. And so uh, what God is doing in this place, it, it is, I've never been a part of this in my entire life. And it's important that as God moves in here that we really steward this well because if we want to have our ears closed off from the move of God and hear his voice, if we want that outcome, if we want to be completely just out in the dark, we just ignore what he's doing here. 
But if we want it to advance, if we want it to grow, we need to take it and say, Jesus, how do we steer this? How do we protect this? How do we grow this? How do we nurture this? Are you with me? And of course, anything that is valuable must be protected. Anything that's valuable to you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go spend $2,000 on a road bike and go park it out downtown on K Street, right? It's stupid. It'd be gone in like, what, two and a half seconds? I mean, anything that's of value to you, we have to protect. So with that, Father God, tonight, Lord, we pray that you would just get us out of the way. And God, that you would just invade this place, Lord. Take over this word, Lord. I just pray that every faculty of man, every wisdom uh, element of man, Lord, would just be silenced. And Jesus, that you just would speak. Lord, your word is just, it's, it's straight here for us. It's open for us. God, you've given us revelation for understanding. So Jesus, we pray that every word that proceeds from my mouth right now, Jesus, would come from your heart, from your kingdom. Lord, that you would transform us through the knowledge of the renewing of our mind. And God, that you would help us to live knowing that there's an adversary looking to take the ground which you are advancing in our life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So put, put a finger in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and 4, but also, if you have a, a Bible with you, and we'll put this on the, the screen, um, I want you to go to Romans 8 real quick, and it's just one verse, and man, I'm all about circling, highlighting, you know, boxing, but check this out. And it says this, it says, verse, chapter 8, verse 18 through 19, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Translation. All of creation is waiting with anticipation of you becoming sons and daughters of the king. And there's a difference. It's, it's, when, you, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that is bestowed upon you. That is what happens. But there's a difference when we walk into it and all of creation is waiting for us to act as sons and daughters of the king. If we knew that our entire identity was wrapped up in all of creation, that creation is waiting for, how would we behave differently? I don't know if you guys have any of that credit monitoring stuff. Like, it's kind of snake oil. I, I got duped by it, you know. It's like credit monitoring, no one will steal your credit. And I got a bunch of businesses and like, you know, that stuff's kind of high risk for me. So I bought like this credit monitoring service. And you know, like what they do is they, they monitor all like these areas of attack, right? So they'll monitor like, okay, so no credit checks happen. They'll monitor suspicious bank transfers and transactions and make sure I'm not buying a surfboard in Fiji while also buying Taco Bell in Wasac and, you know, like those kinds of deals which would be awesome either way. I'd be totally fine with a surfboard in Fiji or Taco Bell. But the point is, is that it monitors like suspicious activity. It looks for areas of weakness. It looks for areas of vulnerability. And as we look now in Matthew, we have to know that Jesus, this is such a great word from, from last week, Jesus is the model. So God, God is the artist, right? Jesus is the model. You are the artwork, and Chris was, is so powerful, he says, you don't have permission to speak poorly about yourself, to speak badly about yourself. You, you cannot insult God, or you cannot insult yourself without insulting God, because you are the painting. Jesus is the model which God is painting from, that's you and I. It's powerful. And so if Jesus is the model, then we have to look at Jesus' life and say, okay, if Jesus went through these things, if this was the response to his identity being attacked, then we surely have to understand that there's some significance for us. 
Because if Jesus is the model, and that he is the model for us to replicate and we represent and he is in us, then that's our blueprint too. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Picture my daughter. It's my little bookmark. Verse 13. It says this. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized. That's John the Baptist. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said it to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. He didn't have a good response to that. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? Why is this story in here at all? Because Jesus models everything for us. It's, it's a model of us coming to relationship with Christ, the old disappearing and the new coming forth, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, and the sonship of God that gets bestowed upon us. So Jesus models it just for us, but there's some powerful things here. And this reveals, I believe, five areas for us which the enemy is going to try and take ground. Five areas of, of weakness, five areas of vulnerability, five areas to compromise, whatever you want. It's, it's our identity theft protection, what we can learn from this scripture here. And the first one is that the enemy wants to convince you that you are the same. The enemy wants you to believe that last week, prior to whatever God did in your life, that when you woke up Friday morning, the enemy's saying, you know, that just was just a big show. That was just, you know, maybe the music was really, like, lively, but nothing really happened. The enemy's tactic is to tell you that what you experience and what you feel in the presence of God is not significant, that nothing happened. And he tries to do that with our salvation, and as Jesus was baptized, he went under the water and came forward. It symbolizes the newness of our life, that the old is gone and the new has come. Romans 6 puts it that therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus was baptized to give us a symbol of that we were baptized with him in his death and resurrected with him into, into the heavenly realms. To say that the old is gone, it's, it's over. Elfin, right? It's the only Spanish I know. And Galatians 3 says that, that, that you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Think of that. When we are, are in relationship with Jesus, when Jesus is, is our Lord and Savior, he comes into our life, it says in Galatians 3 that we are clothed with Christ. What does that mean? It means that when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. Amen? Such a more pretty picture, right? He sees Christ. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the old way. He doesn't see any of that old stuff of you. He sees Christ clothed in you. In Philippians it says that not having a righteousness of my own but being found in Christ. That when you're in a relationship with Jesus, suddenly you cease to exist and Jesus takes over. It cannot be reversed. You cannot lose that. But the enemy, he's going to try and convince you that though you are the same person, you are the same spirit, the same flesh, all that stuff, that's garbage. Uh-uh. Jesus says you're a new creation. The second area the enemy wants 
uh, to, to go after you and find vulnerability is that he wants you to doubt the presence of the living God. He wants you to doubt that what you experienced last week and maybe every other week and every encounter you had with God is just indigestion. It's just a bad burrito gone wrong. He's like, we, we feed pizza and people are like, oh, I feel kind of funny. Is it the pizza? No, it's the Spirit of God. It's great pizza. We're going to make it a little more healthy in the coming weeks here, I think. But still, the enemy wants to try and take whatever good happens in your heart, whatever stirrings happen in your soul, and he's going to try and create doubt. Because the enemy doesn't need to uh, overthrow you and, and, and cause crazy physical ailments and all that stuff. Like that, that can happen. But if the enemy can see doubt into your life, isn't that where the battle's won? The power of your mind, what you believe to be true, what you believe in your soul, who Jesus is, what he did. Is he living? Is he in you? That's at what's stake. And so the battle for us in this area is that he's trying to cause doubt. He's trying to get a little foothold. If he can just get an inkling of doubt, then he's going to have tremendous access but we know that the Holy Spirit is given. There in verse 16, it says the Holy Spirit came in like a dove. Now, why was that? Well, because Jesus promised that he had to go to the cross. He had to finish the work of all creation, that which he died upon the cross for, so that the Holy Spirit would automatically be given to us upon the command of our lips. When we command Jesus, come into my heart, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit wouldn't be like a huge dove, because that'd be kind of weird, right? You're like, Jesus become my Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden a dove flies on you? Like people, that's kind of weird. It, it would be awesome. Maybe, especially as a huge dove, you know. But you guys get the idea that, that Jesus is like, man, I don't want to have to make all these doves. Like, I could just like zap it and just like put the Holy Spirit in you. I'm God, I can do that. But the Holy Spirit is with us, meaning that God is always with you all the time, everywhere, every place, everything you do, God is with you. Why? Because Jesus is in you. You cannot go to a place where Jesus is not there. Try it. It's not going to happen. Galatians 3, it says that we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. When you say, Jesus, come into my life, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm moving in, and I'm here. You cannot reverse that. You cannot be out of his presence. You cannot get the Holy Spirit out of you once it's in. It will not be removed. And so the enemy is going to try and tell you that God's presence, it's not that real. It's not that significant. It doesn't do that stuff. But it means that when the Holy Spirit is in us, that we are, remember the factor defaults a couple weeks ago? Talk about when you become a believer, the factor defaults that we have, like in our new car, you know, like the leather seats and like the, the bun warmers and all that stuff. Like the factor defaults are that you hear from God, you commune with God, you experience God. That is what happens by default. For starters, that's a good, good default, huh? I like that. But some people say, well, I don't know if I hear from God. I don't know if I hear from God. I, I feel like I, I hear that frequently. It's impossible when you are in Christ to not to hear from God. Are you with me? If you are a new creation and Christ dwells within you, it is impossible to live in existence where you don't hear God. You just can't distinguish it. Are you with me? God's always speaking. Even when he's not speaking, he's speaking. It's a good word right there. Or how about this? Well, I feel powerless. I feel powerless. Oh, woe is me, right? My Bible says, Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit gives us power and we'll be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
can't really get around it. You can't like, oh, well, the translation really meant, you know, power tools or something. No, it's like you've been given power. If you don't feel it, change the way you feel because it's the truth. You have the living God in you. He speaks to you. He's in direct communication. You can't get rid of him. You can't leave him. And he's given you all sorts of power that if you choose to use it, you'll experience some crazy, awesome things. That's awesome. But don't for a second think that you need to do something special, that you need to, you know, chant a few things, jump up and down, scratch your head, stand on your head. I don't know. It says through faith you have the Holy Spirit. Through faith you have it. If you believe, you have everything. The third area is that the enemy wants to convince you that you are illegitimate. Verse 17 says, this is my son. This is my son. The enemy wants you to believe that you are illegitimate. And when we come to Christ, it's, we come, become as the sons and daughters of the king. Sons and daughters of the king has privilege, has royalty, has all sorts of fun, cool things with it. We're just scratching the surface on what that means. And sometimes that's a foreign concept because we don't, we don't like the idea of maybe what our earthly father or mother has done. Maybe the whole father-son kind of deal is not a very comfortable area for us to acknowledge. But not when it's the king, the perfect king. He's like, you are my son. John 1.12 said this, it says, To all who received him, to everyone who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. If you believed in Jesus, then you are now the children of God, period. You don't need to go to an adoption agency for, for Christ and be like, man, I got to put my paperwork in. You know, I didn't fill out that one field. It got rejected. No, it's like when you received him, when you believed him, you automatically became God's son or daughter. Sorry to inform you if that's news. You're already in the family. You're not going to get out. Galatians 3 says, for all, all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, that is who you are. All of us. But we, we wrestle, right? We, we wrestle like, man, God, like, I want that, I want that relationship with you. I, I, I sense that there's a difference between relationship and religion, but sonship and being in daughter-son relationship with Christ is so much different. It's so much different. It, it's not religion. It's not behavior. It's not sin management. The greatest thing, listen here, the greatest thing that you can do in your spiritual walk is to truly know and understand what it means to be God's son and God's daughter. Forget everything else. If you can just understand what it means to be God's son and live as God's son, everything else will take hold. It'll all be done because everything flows to that paradigm. Amen? This helps us to give context, too, because have you ever thought, why did God create you? Why did God create you? Like, out of all the things you could have done, you know, right? I'll tell you one thing. Get ready to be offended. <laughs> Might need, like, a little bleep button or something ready. You were not created to worship God. You were not created to worship God. You were created for relationship with God. Huge difference. Amen. All you guys look scared. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm never coming back. Here is why. How many angels are in heaven? 
Lots, thank you. <laughs> what are they doing 24 hours a day for all of eternity? Worshiping. worshiping. Do you think God is like worship deficient? Do you think that at all? Do you think like, oh man, these angels just aren't cutting it? <sighs> I need to create more things to worship me. If you believe that you exist to worship God, you've got it all wrong. You don't exist just to purely worship God any more than I married my wife for her to have sex with me. Right? Think about it. It's about relationship. Worship is a component of relationship, but it's not the whole deal. If, if, if you think that God sits there and he's just like, everybody worship me, we have it all wrong. We, that's a capricious God. That's a prideful God. We know that God is love and God is, is not prideful. God's not, God's not saying, bow down and worship me. Any more than a husband would say, woman, come have sex with me. That's crazy. If, if you're in a mindset where you only think that you exist, your flesh it just exists to, to give God you know, worship day and night, you, you will first never run out. It'll never be enough. If you're in that mindset, you will never be able to give God enough worship if that was what you were created to, to do because going to your job, having dinner with a friend, doing whatever, you're in disobedience, right? Are you with me? There has to be a space there where you're in relationship. It's not all about worship. And if it is all about worship, then you're kind of a spiritual concubine. You're kind of a, a spiritual mistress, if you will. God doesn't need any more people any more things, any more creatures. I mean, there's like 12-headed lions worshiping God. I mean, that's way cooler than what I could offer here, right? I mean, that's so cool. You're like, I just want to see what that looks like. But if that thing is worshiping God, it's like, that's sweet. But above all else, here's why it's different is because you and I have the power to say no. We've been given free choice. We've been given free will. And we get to choose God. We get to choose to say, yes, Jesus, I worship you because you are wonderful, because you are kind, because you are a personal and relational God. Worship is just a manifestation of my relationship with God. It's not service I paid to him. It's not a requirement. It is an outcome. It's just part of the relationship that you have with God. It's not why you exist. Because God's not lonely. He has perfect union with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. They're totally cool. They're totally self-sufficient. God wasn't lonely at all when he created us. He created us because he wanted to have relationship with you. He wanted you because he wanted you. Your mother and father, they might have contributed an egg and a little sperm cell, but he wanted you. He created you for purpose. You're not illegitimate. You're not here by accident. You're not breathing oxygen right now and listening to the word of God by accident. You're, you're having it here right now in your heart for purpose so that you would know that God is a relational, personal God. Not a God of requirements. Not a God that says, bow down to me. He says, come with me. Let's go. The fourth area is that the enemy wants to convince you that God is not pleased with you. The enemy wants you to believe that God is not pleased with you. And I'll even go so far as that he's angry with you. That he is like frustrated, that he is like, oh, that, him again? Oh, you know, deny the phone call or something. You know, I don't know. If the enemy can get you thinking that God is 
annoyed, frustrated, angry over you, he's going to rob you of all your power. God is well pleased with you, I promise. You know how? Check this out. Verse 17. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. What chapter is this? Chapter 3. Come on. Anybody have a Bible open and can look at like around verse 4, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, what it says? Does your Bible have a heading? What does it say, Jerome? Now, just like the heading, don't, not the verse. Let's sink it in here. Up to this point, where was Jesus' first miracle? Like, show me up to this point when God the Father says, I am well pleased with you, show me the list of all the miracles Jesus performed up to then. Show me all the people that he baptized and saved and, and brought huge miracles to. Show me the, the, the demons that were cast out up until this point. There weren't any. Jesus did not start his ministry for another 12 verses. But before that, God the Father says, I am so well pleased with you. I'm well pleased with you because if, our, if the pleasure of God is based upon our behavior, upon what we're going to do, then we're always going to be chasing our behavior. We're always going to be linking the approval of God with our behavior. Are you with me? It's so powerful right here that God gave his heart for Jesus, his son, and says, I'm well pleased with you before any of Jesus' ministry started. It could have been the other way, and we'd be like wondering here tonight, like, wow, like, you know, Jesus did a miracle, he did this, and what did, what did Jesus have to do in order to get well pleased from God? Because that's what I want. We'd all be in that mode, right? And Jesus, all he did is he identified himself as the Son which is freely available to every single one of us. The moment, the very millisecond that you become God's son or daughter, God says, in you, I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased. Has nothing to do about what you just did and what you're going to do. Because God has the joy and the pride of a father. And now for the first time, I understand how this all works, now being a father... My baby, all she does is she eats and poops. That's all she does. Rarely sleeps, too. I mean, at that point. But the pride of a father, the pleasure of the father doesn't come in what she does. It comes in who she is. She's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased because who she is in relationship to me, but I'm also pleased because I know who she'll become. And who she'll become is going to be a direct reflection of who I reveal myself to be in her life. I get to look forward to that. I get to look forward to that. As she grows as a daughter, I get to see a direct relationship to how well am I loving my little girl. The countenance on her face and the joy of her heart should be a reflection of, of the Father's love for her. And that should be the same for us. Think about it. The countenance on your face, the joy of your heart should be a reflection of where your relationship with your Heavenly Father is. I understand that we have to deal with earthly relationships, but your life, who you are at this exact moment, is a reflection of where your heart is with the king. I'm sorry if that's tough to hear, but it is. 
And if, it, if, it's, if that's rough, then we got to know, are we getting our value from God or from man? Are we a reflection of, of man in, in, in someone we're trying to please, a parent, or are we trying to please God? Because all of us become a reflection. As we draw closer to the Heavenly Father, we become more like him in his image. And we begin to reflect who he is. A powerful thing that Chris said last week too. As he says, one of the great lies of Christendom is, is saying that we are sinners saved by grace. Doesn't sound like a, like a really, like, really religious sounds good, you know. I'll put it on my license plate cover. I'll wear like a little, you know, bracelet or something. He says, one of the most damaging things in all of Christendom is saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So that's, that, that's what happened. That's who you were. But that's not who you are. It's like you can sin yourself in faith. Like you, you can sin in faith with God and be totally okay with it. But, but he says in 1 Peter is that we are a royal priesthood. It's different. We're no longer a sinner because, remember, when God the Father looks at us, he sees us clothed in Christ. He can't look at us and say, you're a sinner. We need to know the difference. This is really key. We need to know the difference between forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness was a moment in time on the cross at Calvary. All of your sins, everything that you've done up until this point and everything you'll do forever was taken care of in one moment. Jesus says it is finished. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You cannot go into a state in your life of unforgiveness with Jesus. Are you with me? Your sin, whatever you're wrestling with now, it is circumstantial to now, but you never walk into unforgiveness with Christ because it was done once for all eternity. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If we are brought before God and our sin was paid for once for all, surely you and I need to get out of the mindset that we are sinners needing to ask for re-forgiveness. I know because maybe sometimes it feels like, you know, God forgive me of this or whatever. Jesus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, God the Father is looking at us and seeing Jesus. It's like that wasn't you. It was the old self. But you, you're spotless, you're clean. And when we identify ourselves as these sinners, we're kind of mocking the transformational work of Christ. So I made you a king, I've made you royalty. Don't go and start using words about that you're this, this lowly peasant, that you're this, like, this beggar, this slave to sin. I made you king, but you're calling yourself a slave. Don't do that. So we look at the Bible. Do you know that, that Paul never says, go ask for forgiveness in re regarding to being believers? But there's a word that says repent. It's really, really important that we get the difference between repent and forgiveness. Forgiveness is, again, one time that happened on the cross. Repent means to just do a 180. And here's how you'll forever remember this. The context of the word repent, it's a nautical term. Back in the days, you know, like, you know, you have people like doing like this whole gig, you know, or sails. And so there'd be like some guy, he's like the navigator. And so he's like charting the course. He has like, you know, whatever little, help me out here, compass. Um, and so they're going out into, you know, the bay. And so they're, they're going out. And, and so his job is to, is to keep the boat on course. He's got the winds, he's got the direction, he's got the, the magnet, you know, pointing this way. He's, you know, and there's some guy probably back on a drum, like keeping the pace or something, right? 
And he's going, and he's watching, and all of a sudden he sees a huge storm coming. Or he sees a huge wave or something like Tragedy, catastrophe is before them. It, they're heading straight for it. And this navigator would yell, repent! And everybody's like, we're sorry. <laughs> no. They don't like, we're sorry, we're going to keep going. Like, no, he's like, repent. It means turn around. Just do, just do the exact opposite of what you're doing right now. That's all you need to do. Repent. It's all over the Bible. Repent. Change directions. But you're not unforgiven. God does not see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. We repent. We change course because it's like, ooh, we're heading for catastrophe. God is not angry at you for your sin. He's angry what sin does to you. That's where, if, if there's anything, God's just like, dude, stop hurting yourself. Come on. Are you with me? It's a good word, right? You'll never forget, right? The rowing, the repent, we're sorry. You know, like, it makes perfect sense. I've never forgotten that. I love things like that. Further proof is Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgressions, and for my own sake, I remember them no more. This is Old Testament, right? So you can't like, oh, well, Jesus did this. No, this is Old Testament. I, for my own sake, God speaking, have blotted out your transgressions, and for my own sake, I remember them no more. God has selfish reasons to forget your sin. We're so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, the fifth theory is the enemy wants you to believe that you are bad. Now, there's a little difference here because we're talking about that we're, we're doing bad things, right? But the enemy, this, this final area is that the enemy wants you to believe that you are bad. He wants that to be in your soul, that that's how you identify. That's why we said we should no longer call ourselves sinners saved by grace, that we are actually royalhood and priesthood, sons and daughters of the king. Totally different. But if that's not residing in our heart, then we're going to have different decisions because Proverbs 23, 7 says this, says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. What you think about yourself, who you identify with yourself, that is who you'll become. Self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're like, I'm a sinner, you're going to keep sinning. That's a good word. If you think you're a sinner, you're going to keep on sinning. I'm just going to let that marinate. Who you are in your own heart, that's who you'll become. And so if the enemy can convince you that you are bad in nature. That you are bad. There's nothing good about you. If he can convince that, seed that doubt, then he's got you. Do not underestimate the power of what you believe yourself because what you believe about yourself will either make you or break you. It's not about being humble. This whole false humility thing like, oh, I just am so lowly. That's bull. Right? Please, you guys are so talented. Each one of us grew with, with dreams and ambitions and, and we all thought we could slide down the rings of Saturn. What happened to those? Like, who robbed that from us? I'm like convinced, like I know I say this all the time, I'm convinced that my father let me say, I'll be the stupidest things in the world. And he's like, go for it. You know, I'm convinced that that is why I can become an entrepreneur. 
Because I don't look at something and I don't see, I can't do this. It's like, that's going to be rough, but it has nothing to do with me. It's, it's never, the, the, the challenge for me is like, is this possible? That, that's more the question. It's not, can I do this? I can do it because I'm a son of the king. He's given me favor. He's given me abundance. He's given me knowledge. He's given me his spirit. I have power. I get it. I can do this. Is it possible? Maybe. Is it smart? Probably not. You know, so there's a few things there. But this is, if, if you get nothing out of tonight, check this out. Chapter 4, verse 1. It's just the next verse. So it says, And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my son, whom I am well pleased, period. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. This is where, like, the whole lexicon Greek side of things is fascinating. I don't get excited very often. But there are two words for being tempted. There are two words for, and it's the same word, tempted, tested. And I give them to you. The first one is that word, if we can show it. And it's called, uh, the way it's pronounced is dokimatso. Dokimatso. What does this mean? It says, a trial or proof that something is worthy. The intent is to bring forth the good in someone. The purpose is to affirm God's approval. Are you with me? Daki Matsu. It's to, it's to prove that this is really good. We're just going to give it a little stress test, you know? Like, because we're so proud of it. We, we know it. Dave's an engineer. He knows, like, this is dialed. We've got it. It's just to prove that it's perfect. And uh, this is used in... in James 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various temptations and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's a positive thing. Are you with me? So this Greek word, be tempted, adakimatsu, that's one of them. The other one is this word, and it's pronounced pyratso. And you guys are going to forget all this, I know it, but it's important here. It is to prove Evil by soliciting sin. The intention of proving that one has been and is evil. Tempting with the intent to fall. God never uses this word when in relationship to you. If you're going through a trial, a tribulation, something, and it says that God is testing, it's always to prove that you're good. But this verse right here, right after God the Father says, Jesus, you are my son, I'm so well pleased, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And now it says that he goes up to be tempted by the enemy. It is the word tempted that means I'm proving that you are bad. Crazy. Jesus had no sin at that time. Ever, sorry, ever. But at that time, so far, you know, so good. But the enemy is trying to like make it happen. And, and it's important that we draw the distinction that the enemy in his temptation is always to prove that you really are bad. He's trying to convince you that you are terrible, that you're fallen, that you're distant, that you're no good. And just the falling of the temptation, whatever your sin is, just proves it. That's the kind of temptation here. Completely different. You need to know that there's a war for your mind about how you see God, how you see yourself. It's all there. 
And this word is used in James again. Shortly after the, the good version of the tempted, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Meaning this, that God will never, ever, 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 ever put you in a situation to prove that you're bad. He won't do it. He will never allow you to be tempted so that to prove and to test, are you really good or are you really bad? I don't know. God will never do that. The enemy will. As the band comes up here, I just want to leave you with this. That if any of these areas are compromised, you'll be susceptible to his attacks. Next week, we're going to talk about, because we didn't even get into the, the attacks, right? I mean, we still have a half of the story left. But if any of these areas are compromised, you are more susceptible for what the enemy wants to do, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Because Satan knows that he cannot do anything to stop there being sons and daughters of God because it happens through faith, that happens with our mouth. The only thing that the enemy can do is he can minimize our effectiveness, and he does that in our mind. I just find it just fascinating that even Jesus, who had no sin, yet the devil's purpose, even to Jesus, was to prove that he really was bad. It's crazy. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that Jesus set the model And Jesus, we, we thank you that your, your truth is that we are your sons and your daughters. We have your Holy Spirit, we have your presence, we have everything. Lord, our old self is gone and our new self is here. And that can never be taken away. But Lord, we just pray, Lord, for the hearts of just our community and our generation, Lord, that they would just be waging a battle of identity. Are we bad? Are we good? Are we saved? Are we sinners? Are we priests? Are we kings? What are we, Lord? So we just pray, Lord, that you administer to us right now. Lord, allow us to come into a position where we hear your voice because you're always speaking, Jesus. Lord, you have such great things to say. And Jesus, I pray that tonight you're going to just, just smother people tonight, Lord, that you are well-pleased. Lord, you are so well pleased with every person in here. We thank you for your word. All God's people said amen.